This is Seattle's Morning News, and we're going to talk about the Japanese-American resistance to wartime incarceration. I'm sure people in this area are, are familiar with the story. But uh, Frank Abe, a Cairo Radio alum, by the way, of whom we are very proud, has uh, put together a graphic novel to, uh, to tell this story. Uh, first of all, why did you decide to take this story on? I, well, the, the story came to me through, of course, my, the accident of my birth as a Japanese-American. My father was at Heart Mountain, uh, Wyoming. Uh, but it was through my engagement with the Redress and Reparations campaign back in the late 70s, early 80s, just when I started here at Cairo, yeah. in fact, that engaged me in this uh, quest to kind of recover and reclaim an accurate history of the Japanese-American experience in World War II. So um, when the Wing Luke Museum, you know, flash, flash forward 50 years later, uh, uh, puts out a commission for a uh, request for proposals for uh, a graphic novel about A, Nisei soldiers, B, uh, whites who helped us, and C, camp resistance. This was a story that I had carved out uh, with a film I did for PBS in 2000 called Conscience the Constitution. So it kind of became a thing that I was Pursue, a story I was pursuing throughout the time I worked you know, here at Cairo, mm-hmm. over at King County Government, and now in retirement. Uh, and it's um, a story that in our community, Japanese-American community, uh, we didn't even talk. We, it was not po- polite to talk about this in, in conversation. Really? Up until about 2000. Up until really? about 25 years ago, uh, uh, the resistance to incarceration was still considered, um, you know, uh, re- agitators, troublemakers. Uh, so the, the community wanted to be seen as compliant. Absolutely. Uh, well, not not compliant so much, but um, in in the in the fifties and sixties, uh, after the war, it was the period of the quiet American, yeah, and the promotion of the of the Japanese Americans as being the model minority, right? Uh, who were uh, law abiding, hardworking, you know. Uh, uh, recovered from even the when they were being treated unfairly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but this was the um, accommodation that the Japanese American leadership made with the government at the time, which we document in the graphic novel, uh, the to cooperate in exchange for what they thought would be humane treatment uh, in in these concentration camps. Yeah, this is something that um, I was completely unaware of as well. I mean, we've known each other uh, a long time. I remember the trip we took to Japan together. Oh, that's right. Remember that? Action team. The action team trip to Japan, right? We, we did a series of broadcasts, by the way. This is like in the pre-CNN days when it was still novel for uh, American journalists to travel abroad and report, right? Yes. And, um, and we went to uh, Japan and did a, a tour. And I remember you feeling torn because the people you encountered would look at you and say, oh, he's Japanese. But you could not communicate with them. Uh, they, they looked at me as, as Japanese, and then they, I, um, <clears throat> but they um, regarded me still as an outsider, yeah. uh, as an American, a Japanese American, uh, who could not speak the language, uh, and who was the offspring of someone who couldn't cut it in Japan, and had to leave. Is and, that what? Is that how you look at it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? I mean, we're we're not not so much second class, but you know, kind of a lower lower tier. Uh, See, I didn't realize that. Yeah, no, they're, they're very um, homogeneous society, yeah. and uh, 
they do they did not for the longest time do not regard Japanese Americans as quite their equals. Yeah. yeah. Why did you decide to do this as a graphic novel? Well, the Wing Luke Museum uh, had a mission to you know uh, use vivid storytelling to to connect people with Asian American history, yeah. and they got a grant. Yeah. And and put out a call for proposals, and you know doing a graphic novel was not on my radar at all, but. Uh, the subject of, of camp resistance was right up my alley. So, you know, uh, they, they commissioned myself and a writer, Tommy Konimura of Tacoma, and two artists here in Seattle, Ross Ishikawa and Matt Sasaki, uh, to create a, this a story. And, and we, we, we narrowed it down to three different characters. Uh, and uh, and, and the, the thing about the graphic novel is um, not just doing three Heroes of, of of camp resistance, you know, uh, and in three different separate chapters, I, I wanted to tell the story as a con one continuous arc from Pearl Harbor through incarceration to the post-war uh, recovery and the redress campaign, and bring it up to today, uh, which I mean, I wrote this during the Trump administration, basically, mm -hmm. and so I mean, uh, it, it it goes from, you know, uh, remember remember Pearl Harbor to never again, you know, we always said it, this should never happen again. By, by 2016, 2019, uh, when we were separating families at the southern border, asylum seekers, and putting kids in cages, the, the cry uh, never again became never again is now. Mm -hmm. And uh, it made the story of wartime incarceration that, that much more uh, immediate. Now, I've read anecdotal stories about uh, white people who were allies and were also outraged by this at the time yes was there did did any of these resistance movements get support from the non-japanese community very good question you would think for example the aclu yeah would be right up there uh in fact when the heart mountain fair play committee the draft resistors at heart mountain uh only organized resistance um wrote to roger baldwin executive director of aclu he wrote back to say you know we do not support your case uh, you, you have a bad case. We, we don't we don't support you. Uh, and he released this letter publicly before it was sent received by the Fair Play Committee, because Roger Baldwin uh, was a friend of Franklin D. Roosevelt, uh -huh. and so he was. He, Roger Baldwin did not want to um, challenge or oppose or undermine his uh, his friend's administration. It, uh, different chapters of ACLU in Northern California did lend support to the draft resistance movement, uh, but that was not unsanctioned. Mm -hmm. ACLG chapters. And, and the American Friends Service Committee, the Quakers, and uh, the fellow named Father Tibisar here in Seattle, who was uh, provided a lot of help as well. In fact, I think I believe he took his ministry to Minidoka, Idaho, and resettled there. Uh, and that's the basis of the third graphic novel in our series called Those Who Helped Us. It's a, basic, uh, a graphic novel by, written by Ken Mochizuki, illustrated by Kiko Hughes of Seattle. So what is the, the legacy of this? Actually, my... my uh Longtime neighbor since uh, moved to a, a, a nursing home, uh -huh. but uh, she was among those who were uh, who were interned at the Minidoka. I think she she told yeah. us uh, her sure. husband became part of the uh, Codebreakers, uh, who helped the uh, the war effort and uh, military intelligence service. Yeah. yeah, and never talked about this. So, but mm. but I so but within the community, is it fair to say the real story was known or or not? Oh, sure, it was known. So it was all in camp newspapers. Yeah, uh, but it was, you know, it was a, a distasteful subject that yeah. people just didn't want it. Uh, you know, they, they marginalized it, pushed it to the side because you had this, this more popular and palatable story of 
valor and sacrifice in the form of, yeah. the, of the Nisei soldiers. All right. It's called We Hereby Refuse, and I assume this is on Amazon and anywhere else you buy books? Uh, 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 well, bookshop.org or, or, mm-hmm. or Elliott Bay Books, Third Place Books. Chin Music Press is the publisher, a boutique publisher, and you can, you can get a copy in uh, Pike Place Market. Uh, Chin Music Press has a, 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 a shop uh, two floors below the fish throwers. All right. Yeah. Yep. I know what that is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so please go to a physical store. Yes. We hereby refuse Japanese American resistance to wartime incarceration written by Frank Abe and uh, beautifully illustrated. Thank you very much for coming. Thank you very much, Dave. This is Seattle's Morning News. Dave Ross with Colleen O'Brien and Chris Sullivan. Jason Chen writes the wire, collar, wire cutter column for the uh, New York Times. He uh, reviews products and oversees the product reviews. I saw on the, uh, I guess this is on today's issue, uh, the headline is, This Deep Tissue Massager Looks Like a Medieval Torture Device, (laughs) But It Works Like a Dream. And it's uh, these rollers that somebody is uh, rolling across their thigh. It does look like a torture device. What what exactly does it do? So what you really should be focusing on after uh, an intense workout to sort of work out the the lactic acid is um, massaging your muscles. It keeps you from getting too sore. And so this um, deep tissue massage roller, it's it's a little bit smaller than, say, something like a foam roller, which you might be familiar with, which uh, sort of gets into your muscle tissues. But you can use this on various parts um, that are a little bit smaller in body, whether it's your thigh or your or your leg um, or on your arms. And it sort of just helps relieve tension. It massages your tendons. It's a, it's a really good part of embarking on an exercise routine and help keeping you motivated so that you're not getting too sore to continue doing it. There's an, also an article about the best USB wall outlets, which uh, is something that I find I, I really miss. I, I, I think the houses of the future can't just have uh, you know, 120 volts. They have to have USBs in every room. Dave, I am right there with you. You know, my apartment is uh, similarly not there yet. It's not equipped. But every time I go to a hotel and there are those sort of USB charging ports in the walls next to the nightstand, it is a dream. And it sort of relieves me of any stress that I have searching for an outlet somewhere to plug in my, my charger if I've forgotten it, God forbid. And it really is sort of the the outlet of the future. And so there are obviously ways now that if you are uh, handy enough that you can buy them and install them yourselves. We have a couple of different options that we have rated and reviewed that we find to be the best. Um, And they're not terribly expensive, honestly. You can get a couple for 20-some bucks. You can go a little bit more expensive, but that really is a is a great find for somebody who's doing any home renovations or if you've got a, a tinker in your life, maybe even a stocking stuffer. Mm-hmm. And you've got an outdoor section. Uh, you've got a style section. I was intrigued by the adult Lego section. And I, mm-hmm. I have a couple of grandkids. They're into one of them's into Legos now. And uh, we got, um, uh, let's say, oh, a, a princess, uh, what is the ice queen, you know, what, what's her name? Uh, Elsa, oh, yeah, um, right. Princess Elsa, yeah, Elsa's exactly. castle, and it actually is a a semi challenging kit uh, for a five year old. But these adult kits are uh, really over the top. <laughs> they are, aren't they? And so, um, we at Wirecutter are huge fans of Lego because they kind of provide endless fun. They reward patience. They give you some um, 
finished product that you can beautifully display at the end. It sort of rewards your imagination. But that is very, very true that these Lego sets for adults and for kids, you can sort of do them together, can get rather elaborate. So you can do, you know, Van Gogh's Starry Night. You could do uh, Rivendell of Lord of the Rings. You can recreate the Taj Mahal. They get rather meticulous and intricate uh, and reward you after hours of intense work. And we're, we're really big fans of them here at the site. Yeah. So you have uh, how, how many items would you estimate the, uh, the column has in all in this uh, roundup? Oh, boy. I mean, Dave, this is a this is hard to estimate even because there are so many so we have maybe about four dozen gift guides probably mm -hmm. uh just for the holiday and that ranges from you know gifts for your mom gifts for your grandparents gifts for a coffee lover and gifts for kids from age ranges from one two three all the way up to teens um and so each of these gift guides within them we have about two dozen three dozen gifts and so if you're timesing 30 by 50 that's uh, on the order of a thousand some gifts that we're we're talking about um i will say that it is enough that we are able to publish at year end a list of our 100 most popular gifts and that is no small feat because that is really the cream of the crop, the, the ones that the readers have responded to the most. This being Seattle, I, I really must ask you about the gifts that are designed to up your coffee game, uh, mm. in, including your evaluation of the best coffee grinders and uh, other upgrades like a scale, a dripper. I had, I mean, I know that coffee has become a very elaborate ritual. It's, it's almost like, a, you know, an ancient Chinese tea ceremony, the way it's, uh, <laughs> the way it's developed uh, in Seattle. But you've got those uh, accoutrements as well, don't you? Absolutely. I mean, we have so many different things to sort of help the coffee and your coffee lover in your life. You know, we have an airtight coffee canister for somebody who wants to keep their coffee as fresh for as long as possible. We have beautiful Japanese porcelain mugs for somebody who wants to savor their drink in a beautiful way. There are mug warmers. I'm, I'm not sure if you've heard of the Ember mug, but it basically is a mug that sits on this uh, electric uh, pad, heating mm -hmm. pad, basically, and keeps your coffee at a precise temperature. Wow. Uh, course of the day uh we have as you mentioned grinders the the great uh coffee machines we have gooseneck kettles that can keep the the water at the most precise temperature at an exact you know 179 or whatever the case may be um there are there are really things for the coffee in your life that you haven't even thought of and, and for yourself probably if you're a coffee drinker too uh we're, we've got a lot of coffee snobs on staff so we're really proud of that guy <laughs> somehow it doesn't surprise me being the new york times <laughs> so uh just in the interest of full transparency you i mean this is this is built as an objective guide to the best gifts do you receive any uh piece of the action if somebody clicks on this and buys it that's a great question. You know, in absolute full transparency, we do work on an affiliate model program. And so there is the possibility that when you click on our site and purchase something, we will get a cut of, of whatever the purchase price is. It will vary from site to site. I will say that for the purposes of our journalism, we are absolutely unaware of whatever that affiliate model is. And so we have very, very capable commerce and business development colleagues on the other side of the site whose job it is to really 
broker those partnerships and work out those deals. We as journalists figure out what we like, put those on the site. In a lot of situations, we make no money from it. And it's sort of the other side of the house's job to sort that part of it out. And so there, there is an economic model behind it. We as independent journalists are completely separated from that endeavor. Very good. Jason Chen edits the Wirecutter column in the New York Times, and it is a, it's a great resource if you're having trouble. It's I think it's better than just uh, scanning Amazon, which is basically all ads. At least these products have been vetted by people who are looking for the best stuff. So, Jason, thank you for coming on. Dave, thank you so much for having me. Are prisoners employees, too? This commentary is sponsored by Wafed Bank. On Thursday, the Washington Supreme Court ruled detainees being held at the Northwest Detention Center in Tacoma must be paid the state's minimum wage for work they do while being incarcerated. The court said not only are they detainees, they're also employees. The current state minimum wage is fifteen seventy-four an hour. The detainees were being paid a dollar a day, a practice that has gone on for decades. For a dollar a day, the detainees were doing what court documents say were essential tasks like laundry and cleaning. The center can hold up to 1,600 people. Most of these people are in administrative custody waiting for a determination of their immigration status. The ruling upheld earlier court rulings saying the GEO group owes $7.3 million in back wages to the workers and an additional $5.9 million to the state in profits the company made on the backs of these employees. But the ruling only applies to privately run detention facilities and not state prisons or county jails, where in some places in the country, you're lucky if you got a dollar a day. In 2022, the American Civil Liberties Union looked at some 800,000 incarcerated people in the state and federal prison system and what they were being paid. Only one state, Colorado, was paying the state minimum wage. The ACLU found the national average was 13 to 52 cents an hour, and it found governments regularly take up to 80 percent to pay for room and board. And of course, there's federal income tax. And in Texas, Georgia, Arkansas and Alabama, the wage for work is zero per hour. As for Washington State, inmates in state prisons are paid 65 cents to $2.70 an hour. House Bill 1024, introduced earlier this year in the state legislature, would have raised the pay to the state minimum wage. But the bill never made it out of committee and became legislative roadkill. This new Supreme Court ruling making detainees employees is sending a shot across the bow in front of state lawmakers that if a state prison gives a job to an inmate, they may be employees. And keep this in mind, starting January 1st, 2024, the new state minimum wage will be $16.28 an hour, the highest state minimum wage in the country. It's 7.47 and you're listening to Seattle Mornings, Seattle's Morning News. It's time for G. Scott. Hey, brother. Man, what's going on, man? How you like doing this early in the morning, brother? I, I'm okay with that. I just had to get all the right buttons to push and yeah. uh, learning the ropes. And I'll drop my voice down. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> well, good, good morning. Good morning. Yeah. But uh, Christmas Eve. Yeah. Um, Tennessee we, Titans. Yeah, we need this Christmas gift. You know what I mean? 
If you're a Seahawk fan and you're listening right now, Christmas Eve, right by the way, the weekend starts right now. Uh, it kind of feels that way, but Christmas Eve, the Seattle Seahawks, they will play against the Tennessee Titans in Tennessee. Oh, by the way, I wish I was going to that game because something about being around oh, I love Nashville. Broadway, Broadway and Nashville, oh, all yes. the, it just rings. If you walk down Broadway, <laughs> yep. you hear all the music, Let's, which is not far from the stadium. Nope. You can nope, walk to the stadium. For not you. at all. So so here's what's going on. Let me, guys, let me paint the picture for you. Um I know we have said a few times that there's a must win, but the other day was really a must win as, as they beat the Eagles. But this game against the Tennessee Titans, this is a must win. Right now they are 7-7 seven and seven with three games left to play in the season. They got the Tennessee Titans on Sunday. Um, then they have the Steelers at home uh, on New Year's Eve. And then they travel to Arizona. And the reason why it's big, they're 7-7. Seven and seven. Well, there's one team in the NFL that just has caught Unfortunately, it is the Los Angeles Rams. They played last night. They are now eight and seven. That's not good news because right now the Rams own the tiebreaker. So the Seahawks, it's probably a good chance you have to win out because the next two games for the Rams are going to be the Giants, who aren't that great, and then they have the 49ers. So the Seahawks are going to have to win out. Who are the Tennessee Titans? Well, Early in the season, they kind of let the world know, like, mm, you know what? We don't think we're going to be that good. So they kind of sell off a little bit. They kind of traded some players. But they still have Derrick Henry, who's a really good running back. And so here's where the, the dilemma right now. They have this quarterback by the name of Will Levis. who Who's playing pretty good right now. Playing pretty good. He's a tank. <laughs> He's a, When I mean by tank, just he can, can just move. He's out of the University of Kentucky. I like this quarterback so much so I don't want the Seahawks to play him. So right now his ankle is hurting a little bit. So it might be because he did not practice yesterday. Ryan Tannehill, their backup, might be the starting on Sunday. Whew, we let that happen. Remember when you were younger and you're playing against a kid that uh, the parents used to always want to check the birth certificate and you're like, you, and then you go to that baseball game and you really hope Johnny doesn't show up because Johnny's a really good pitcher. And then they're like, oh, Johnny's not here. And you're like, yes. But then sometimes Johnny shows up, you're like, ah. You sound like Tanya Harding right now. Okay, you kneecap somebody here. Okay. <laughs> With Nancy Kerrigan. Yeah, that's, um, so, well, who's, I want to ask you, who's. Who's a better quarterback right now? No. I mean, after that, after, Geno Smith? Well, I mean. Or Drew Locke? Well, Drew Locke pulled that out of the fire on Monday. So, so here's the thing. The experts, Pete Carroll, has said that Geno Smith will be the starter if he's, if he's not hurt and everything. And so, more likely, it is Geno Smith. So, I want to first declare they are the experts. Now, let me go with my opinion, Okay. Monday night football, you're on a four-game losing streak. You have to beat the Eagles or really your season is done. You're going to be talked about. This will be people like, oh, my goodness, the Seahawks is this. And then with less than two minutes to go in the game, you drive, you lead a 92-yard drive and beat the Eagles on Monday night. If it were me, I'm starting Drew Locke, baby. If it were me, again, I said the experts have made the decision. I'm not an expert. Well, it's a momentum play. I mean, if he's got momentum, he pulled out of the fire, he's feeling good. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of, uh, let's see, where we at, Sully? 23, going on 24 years ago. It reminds me when Drew Bledsoe got hurt in the chest. And then there was this little backup 
six-rounder out of University of Michigan by the name of Tom Brady comes in, and he never left, let that spot go. Yeah. So we don't know who Tom Brady is without Drew Bledsoe going out, but I don't know. If it were me, I would go with Drew What Lock. would happen for, real quickly to wrap up here, what, what would happen to make Pete Carroll pull Geno Smith and put Drew Locke in? What would have to happen? Is it two interceptions maybe or something like that? No. I think uh, if Geno Smith starts the game, you're going to stay with him the rest of the game. Even if he throws two picks? Yes, even if he throws two picks. You stay with your quarterback. You don't want to play around. I think this is way too late in the season. you got three games left to play, my man. So, But again, if it were me... I would go with Drew. Like that 92 yard looked good for me. I'm all about momentum. You know what I mean? Matter of fact, that's how I got my wife. She was like, she told me, she's like, you're hot right now. <laughs> oh, that's good. I'll tell my I wife here a momentum play. Okay. I let a 92 yard drive, took her for coffee, and Sully, the rest was history, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Drew Locke's like Hansel right now. So hot. He's so hot right now. <laughs> See you guys. Merry Christmas, man. All right. Here directly from your favorite coach. This is the best place in the world to play football. This is the Pete Carroll Preview, brought to you by Muckle Shoot Casino. Here's your host, Steve Raymond. Okay, Pete, what a what a great way to start this week. Uh, and so let's start with Monday night. Uh, as big and as exciting a win as I think I can remember in a long, long time. Can you talk about to the folks who maybe just really don't understand sometimes? how really hard it is to win a football game in the National <laughs> Football League and then to come on and win that one the way you did. How how big, how fun, how important. Yeah, there was so much riding on that game to, to kick us into this final mode here to make something special this season. And it, and it took us all the way down, you know, it's 152, you know, in the game. We had played really uh, – we were – we were getting better as the game went on. We were getting cleaner and sharper, and we were getting more command of the game, and you, you could feel it. And, and uh, so when we had the opportunity, what's really cool is to go down and score. That's awesome. But then to come back and to finish it on defense oh. the other way, and, and they started to move it. Literally ran, you know, scrambled and made some yards, and he's only 15 yards away from kicking, you know, kicking a, a tie-in field goal. And uh, so it was just – and the crowd went so nuts in that, that fourth quarter. It was just – one of the real memorable games that we've had. We've had a, a handful of them, in particular on Monday nights, and so uh, we put another one in the books. I'm really proud of that. Uh, Drew Locke really came through in a big way, but now it looks like, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but Gino's now fully in practice, and the competition between those guys has made them, if it's possible, even closer after what's happened the last the last couple of weeks. Support of, of each other is really remarkable, those two guys. Yeah, and, and it's it's been that uh, you know for a while now. The whole last season, you know, after going through the battle, they're battling, and then they then it, okay, Gino wins it out, and now Drew's got to do his thing to to support him. And he, he found a way quickly, and 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 really respected the crap out of what he was doing, what Gino was doing, and and just rallied for him. And as soon as this happened when, two weeks ago, when uh, when Gino couldn't go, uh, you could just see him just return re- return the the love that you know, that he feels for his, his partner, you know, and and. Uh, uh, and it showed up all the way to the very end of the game when they're both, you know, they're doing their little thing they were doing with the backpack thing that they were, uh, that they were simulating. And uh, it just was it's really exciting. And this game has so much to expose you and, and also so much that you can gain if you just can hang in, in there and, and 
you know, keep your mind in the right place. Our guys really stuck it out. And you, you've got two guys that are warriors, man. They, they will support each other to the ends. And like you said, uh, by the way, uh, Gino does look really good this week. His late, he looks a little fresh. You know, he's, he's bouncing around pretty good now. And, and so the, the break, in a sense, helped him in that regard. And he seems to feel fine. So um, we put together a couple of great days already. What about the rest of the guys? A little pep in everybody's step after a game like that? Sure, uh, of course. And we have to, con- you, know, you know, we have to control that you know that effect you know too so yeah. it's it, the 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 tough losses and the and the big wins can still distract you and so we we're we're working on that discipline always and I think we're in good shape and we're really excited for the next opportunity these are you know just kind of what we're waiting for let's go see if we can finish in a big way tell me about a Mike Vrabel coach team what what is he like what does he want to do uh you've known him for a long time yeah, you know, I've not known Mike uh, closely. Uh, I've known of him and played against him and coached against him for years and all that and always had respect for him. But now more than ever, when you can see his team play to his his makeup uh, and Larry Izzo, they, they went to New England at the same time, you know, as, as free agents, I think it was. And uh, and so is knows him, you know, really, really closely. They spent six or seven years together, something like that. Uh, and just the way he talks about him and then to see his team play so tough and physical, the style that, that he, that he, uh, you know, expects and demands and gets, he's getting it done. That's, to me, that's a really good ball coach now, you know, cause he's having his effect in a really positive way. And, you know, not that they can win every game cause it's so darn hard, but, uh, they play to his makeup and, in his style. It's, it's, it's impressive. Well, they, they love to run the ball. They love to play great defense. And, of course, the star there for however many years has been King Henry, uh, Derrick Henry, um, rushed for 182 yards and three touchdowns, I think, yeah. the last time uh, we well, saw. Well, well, I, I, can't, I can't hear you. It's cut out a little bit right there. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. He's a Sorry great player. Sorry to bring that one up. I but know. Do you, is this a guy that looks like you've looked at a lot of video on him already? Does he look like a guy, as they're saying in Tennessee, is in the twilight of his career? I don't see that. I, I see no. him. He's always, he's always, he's never looked like he's flashy. You know, he's just looked like he's just a stud, so strong yeah. and, and, yeah. and, and so adept at breaking tackles and, and making the most of plays and, and then finishing. And then when he gets out on the, on the edge, he's fast. He still runs fast. He's got a big stride, you know, so he doesn't look like the little, uh, you know, jitterbug guys. He's got a whole different way about him. Very, very unique, but very powerful and, and a great competitor. And he, he can do everything. He can catch it. He can throw it. He can do everything. So uh, is a, and he's really a, t- a guy that you can build your team around, which they have. Yeah. He, he it seems like if you're a defensive player, talk about having to wrap up because there are going to be a lot of guys over the years that have bounced off of him trying to make a tackle. You really have to be uh, at your best to yes. play against this guy. Yeah, you have to finish your, your individual tackles. And, the, and the, what we really need is we need team tackling. We need pursuit mm-hmm. that gets to him so it isn't a one-on-one situation because he wins a lot of those. He's got one of the f- most ferocious stiff arms of anybody that's ever played the game. And uh, he's famous for it. And sh- sure enough, you know, we got to make sure that we don't let him get us. Finally, Pete, it, it's uh, while we are getting ready for the Titans, it is Christmas week and the players have been visiting hospitals. They've been giving hundreds of gifts uh, to kids, uh, families in need. It's it's really a special time for the whole organization, as it is for all of the community. Um, just some thoughts. If you can step away from, you know, the video and the practices <laughs> and all that stuff, you've yeah. got grandkids and family. I mean, just a couple of thoughts on this as we head into Christmas. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Um 
it, it is such a special time for us. Uh, there's so much going on around the world and, and around I mean, in our own country too that that draws you away from the the gratitude and the appreciation and the love for for people around us and our in our communities and all. This is it, we're fortunate that we have this tradition so that we can you know reconnect and rediscover uh, some of the moments that we can gain and share with the people that we love so much. Um, and I, I'm, I'm so grateful that we're here and doing what we're doing and to be uh, in the middle of all of this stuff that I know we can send great messages like we did last week. And, and uh, um, I just hope we can continue to extend and, and make this a really fun holiday for the fans and for the people of the area and all that. And uh, yeah, so it is for us personally in the coaching business and in the football business, we kind of get distracted a little bit now, you know, we have a little bit of trouble finding our time, but again, like we said, we got create that little space in there and we get a couple good hours with the family and, and all that and make the very most of it. So everybody happy holidays and uh, Merry Christmas to you and all of that. And, and uh, we got a great new year's coming up too. We'll be playing some football for you here before long. So uh, we'll try to make it as fun as we can. I can't think of a better Christmas present than going to Tennessee and beating the Titans and, and coming home uh, with a big win. Pete, uh, thank you as always for your time. Happy holidays. I'll see you on the plane part. All right, Rabes. See ya. It's uh <laughs> end of a long shift here. Okay. <laughs> First day of the job. <laughs> We're almost there. Talking with Mickey Gomez here about what she's going to be talking about. I'm just going to bring her in. I don't know what the script is, is but uh, sleep divorce. Sleep divorce. Yeah, it's when married couples sleep in separate bedrooms because of different sleeping patterns. Maybe they've got different uh, different work times, and you know, some people think that could be troublesome. But it's become a popular trend this year, and it even has over a million hashtags on TikTok. And so sleep divorce is something that I wish, I wish my spouse would be supportive uh, of because we sleep very differently. And last night is a prime example of how I wish I could have had my own bedroom. Uh, not only did we, we fell asleep early, which I love, but then the dogs crawled in. One of my dogs likes to sleep under the blankets with me because I sleep with a heating blanket. Then at about one o'clock in the morning, my 12-year-old has a nightmare, comes, jumps in the bed with us. So we have a king-size bed. But at that point, I'm awake 2.30 in the morning going, I need my own room. I need my own bed. I cannot sleep like this. What a... What about snoring? I mean, I mean, when you when people get divorced, I don't it's snore a money anymore. It's a, a money issue and stuff like that. I think in a sleep divorce, snoring would be like the number one issue. It is one of the number one issues, as a matter of fact. Uh, or couples that you know, one thing that my spouse does is she when she falls asleep, she jerks. So I've been the victim of her hand a couple of times. I've been mm -hmm. I've been uh, poked. I've been prodded. I've been all of that, and I'm like, I just I love you. I need my own bed. Andrea has said absolutely not. No. And what would happen is if I got my own room with my own bed, I would probably wake up and she would be right next to me anyway. Uh, yeah, I'm not, you know, I, I didn't even know this. It had a name or that the, a million people would give up this kind of personal friction on that. I think if it had but, a better name, but then may, it would be yeah, more. Yeah, maybe. Because, I mean, it makes sense for people who are shift workers that work mm -hmm. on different, like, for instance, Holly and I have worked on different shifts for years of, you know, when I was on night shift or now with more early mornings or whatever. It makes sense. Because, I mean, but I don't, we don't do it. I mean, she comes in at, you know, whenever she does, I wake up, then the cat jumps on me, I wake up, so I get yeah. terrible sleep. But mm -hmm. that's fine. I mean, when I leave in the morning, she wakes, you know, so she gets terrible 
fell asleep with me. I guess I understand yeah. it, but I, I, you know, I just kind of, you know, miss the cuddling. I would miss the cuddling too. Yeah. Yes, it doesn't mean that cuddling doesn't happen. I mean, you can lay in bed together, and then when the other partner falls asleep, you get up, you go to your other room. Uh, I, I think that you know, professionals have said, "Hey, listen." Um, some of us are okay with separate sleeping, which is which I think is a better word for it, not sleep divorce. But separate sleeping is really good. It's healthy. If you get a good eight hours of sleep, you're going to have a good, strong marriage because you're more available. You're not as grumpy. And then there are other therapists who say, you know what? It's just more important to preserve the sanctity of marriage and stay in bed together and then suck it up, buttercup. I don't know. I always thought that, you know, sleeping separately in different beds, even in the same room or in two different rooms, that's something that grounds. Grandma and grandpa did, you know, not mm-hmm. my not grandparents millennia. did it. Yeah, well, not not uh, people who are maybe newly married or like you're saying, they're shift workers, but they're in their 30s and 40s. Are we seeing more people who are younger than grandma and grandpa doing this? Yeah, on TikTok, there are lots of people. As a matter of, like I said, it's got a million hashtags right now, probably mm-hmm. a little bit more, where people are coming out of the closet and saying, hey, listen, we're married, we're in love, we're young, but I've got to sleep in a different room. And then when, um, and then, you know, some people, some critics have said, well, yeah, but what if your kids find out that you're sleeping in separate rooms? Mm-hmm. It's like, well... All we do is say, well, you know how you and your siblings sleep in different rooms because you've got different sleeping patterns? Well, mommy and daddy or mommy and mommy or daddy and daddy have to sleep in separate rooms because, well, we want our sleep and we sleep better apart. Well, we have two dogs and a cat, and I'm wondering if we did that, the dogs have to make a decision. Because they yeah, always jump on our bed. Uh, you know, Marlo like, would sleep with me. <laughs> yeah. Snow would probably sleep with Andrea. And then the cats would sleep with Andrea. And then I would have my own little corner downstairs. My room would be nice and cold and dark. And I'd, yeah, I'd love it. You know, I have to say, I, I am a newlywed. Uh, and so this might change given, you know, several years into the marriage. But for me, so. So much of when I fall asleep and wake up, I feel very vulnerable. I'm in a very vulnerable spot. I think my wife is the same way. And so I kind of need her there just as a as a comfort, you know, just Mm -hmm. and, you know, we we've got a king size bed. We're kind of on separate sides of the bed almost. But it's really nice having that person there when you wake up in the middle of the night uh, just as a, a source of comfort. Well, it doesn't mean that you can't go back into the room or that you can't, you know, share two nights sleeping together. You know what I mean? Like, it's not a permanent situation, but... You know who's going to love this is all the mattress companies. Because, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh, yeah. Check who did that study. Yeah, let's this, look this into that. True, right? It's Big Mattress. Big Mattress is doing Behind it. The, here come the conspiracy <laughs> theories. Oh, great. All right, Mickey, thank you very You're much welcome. for all that. Uh, Happy sleeping. All right.